Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for our weekend preview. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by Chris Woff. It is Newcastle United versus Crystal Palace on Saturday back at St James's Park. It seems like a long while since we've been there. A win for Newcastle would all but secure their Premier League status for next year. Chris, um, easier said than done, especially given Newcastle's performance against Arsenal um, earlier in the week. Yeah, they certainly need to shake off those cobwebs from that game because their last two away performances in London have been very, very poor. 2-0 defeats at West Ham and at Arsenal. Yes, they had the 2-2 draw at Bournemouth in between where they played quite well. But the one thing I would say is Newcastle are far better at home since the turn of the year than they are away from home. They, they look far more comfortable in this system. Uh, the three at the back suits them at home. I think they get exposed a little bit away from home and I'm not quite sure what it is with the mentality on the road at the moment, but it isn't working, which is complete contrast to the first half of the season. But if they're as lethargic as they seem to be at certain points, if they're as poor certainly as they were in possession at the Emirates, then they will struggle against a Palace team who will look to catch them on the break. They'll look for to get the ball in transition and counter-attack. So Newcastle have to be far more precise in possession and find their man because they kept giving the ball away far too easily at Arsenal. Given the start of the season, it's amazing to think that we can now say that Newcastle have won their last five Premier League home games. Um, I think last... only two teams have taken more points at home in 2019 than Newcastle. It's ridiculous. I mean, the last uh, time they won six in a row St James's Park was back between January and April of 2004. Um, but I mean, they were really bad at the start of the season. You couldn't see where the, the next goal was coming from, let alone the next point. And suddenly, here we are, one more win away from uh, safety. And it is largely down, or if not all down, to their home form in 2019. Oh, it is. I mean, if it was just down to their away form, they really would be in a serious relegation scrap. And they could well even find themselves in the bottom three because they haven't won away from home since mid-December when they won at bottom of the table. Huddersfield... They've been to such places as Bournemouth, West Ham, haven't picked up anything. Uh, well, sorry, they've got a point at Bournemouth, but haven't picked up a win. At home, meanwhile, they've been playing very, very well. Now, I think there's two primary reasons for that. I think one of them uh, is the change of formation and the fact that Florian Lejeune and Fabian Cher have been able to play together in that back three. Newcastle have been, the first half of the season, they struggled to really break teams down as they did last season as well when teams came and sat deep against them they haven't had to rely on that counter-attacking style as much because Cher and Lejeune have been able to take some of the burden somewhat and help them attack I think the other primary reason is Miguel Almiron's arrival yes Newcastle won before that but since he's come in he's injected extra pace he's looked better at home than he has away from home as well and he's created space for both Perez and Rondon so that front three is working very well the back three has been working very well and so that's why I think that the main change has come about in their home form it was desperately needed because come December and when they drew against Fulham I was really concerned for them at that stage and it was it was obvious with the fixtures they had during the second half of the season their home form was going to have to improve and thankfully it's improved dramatically and far better. It's been far better than I think anyone could have predicted, even Rafa Benitez. Most certainly. Um, a quick bit of trivia then. Can you name the uh, the, the games back in 2003-04 that Newcastle United won those six games? 2003-04, No. Uh, I, I can tr- I can try a few. Give me the first game and I'll try the and work first them game they beat uh, Leeds United 1-0 on January the 7th. So we're going back to that season where Alan Smith was still at Leeds. So, um, Leeds, Man City? Um, no. 
uh, Arsenal. No, we, we could I'm just taking Wales stats yeah, the dogs, I'll just so read out. Um, they then went on to beat Fulham 3-1, Leicester City 3-1, Middlesbrough 2-1, um, Charlton 3-1. Lots of 3-1s knocking about. Lots of goals um, conceded there as well. Everton 4-2. Which would which was yesterday, incidentally. Um, in on on these days, it was yesterday. But yeah, I mean, away from home, obviously we spoke briefly about Newcastle's defeat to Arsenal in the the post game podcast on Monday. But is it a case that Newcastle were just a bit lackluster? They didn't really seem to have uh, the energy or the kind of the motivation to to really take the game to Arsenal because you can speak about. Arsenal bringing off a £75 million striker and the quality they've got on the pitch and on the bench and what have you. But Newcastle just seemed a little... Um, they didn't really have the ideas or the drive. Yeah, when we're outside of a transfer window and Rafa Benitez refers to the value of the opposition team, although it is a relevant point, and look, Arsenal can spend that sort of money and Aubameyang came on did make a significant difference. I think that he does that potentially to a degree to deflect from how poor his team was. I think he sometimes used press conference in that way. I think that's why I used the VAR situation with Wolves at home early in the season as well. And for me, on Monday night, I, I went there expecting Newcastle to lose, but that's because I thought Arsenal would be very good. Arsenal didn't have to be very good. That was the frustration was that Newcastle didn't really fire a shot in anger. It was, to a certain degree, for want of a better term, in inverted commas, a free hit. The way that Cardiff had lost the day before, all but confirmed that their confidence has been sapped they've subsequently gone and lost to Man City as well so Newcastle had that opportunity to to have a bit of a go I don't mean go gung-ho Benitez would never do that but Newcastle barely had any opportunities had three shots one of which was from the halfway line one of which was from Keyson Young from 20 yards and got nowhere near the other of which was a decent chance for Rondon he probably should have done better or squared it to Perez but apart from that Newcastle didn't really trouble Arsenal Arsenal were poor but managed to win quite comfortably and it was just if you, what really frustrated me is if you watched Mustafi, particularly towards the end of that first half, he was there to be got at. Newcastle could have, if they'd had a, if they'd posed more of a threat, if they'd pressed higher, they would have, I think, caused a few problems. Not really was towards the end of the first half. It was within the first few yeah. minutes, wasn't it? He's not exactly the world's uh, most stable defender, shall we say? But then, neither when Newcastle's defenders on the day, and we don't like to. To, to pick faults, but he has said we win as a team, we lose as a team. But Jamal Lascelles had a bit of a nightmare. He did have a poor game. I think that he looked like a player who hadn't played in a few weeks, but all considering he only missed one game due to injury, that's it was a little bit of a concern. I think that he really, really missed Fabian Cher. That defence, it was. You probably actually couldn't see this on the TV, and I was explaining to some people who I was speaking to on Tuesday that at the game. Second off, what Emery had clearly said to his players were, when Lejeune gets the ball, press him high. When Lascelles gets the ball, let him have it. And it was you could actually see when you're at the ground that Newcastle, the, the Arsenal players were actually backing off Lascelles and letting him have the ball because he isn't comfortable in that situation. There was a couple of times, there was once where he kicked it straight out on the right-hand side when it should have gone to Yedlin. There was another time where he took ages and then kicked it straight into Ganduzi, who is in front of him. And, and I think that not having that extra ball-playing defender, because Arsenal knew that if they cut off the supply from Lejeune, Newcastle were going to struggle, and Dummett's not the most comfortable on the ball either. So that affected him defensively. First goal, you've got to be stronger, both him and Yedlin. I thought it was poor. The second goal, look, it's very poor defending. I'm not I'm not in any way going to absolve Lascelles of, of total blame. But I do think, as much as I thought 
Dubravka played well, I do question what happened for that second goal because either Dubravka gives Lascelles a call, in which case I can see why Lascelles has backed off a little bit and Dubravka doesn't get there, or Dubravka decides to come anyway when his defender should get it. And that, and that made... It, it was a brilliant finish, but it made the option for Lacazette. So I do think that Dubravka was partly culpable for the second goal, but really defensively, Newcastle were poor in those regards. And um, it, But it, it, with the whole team were poor, which just typified a really disappointing performance all round, really. What I love about the second goal was on the replays, you can see more Diarmi in the background and he just puts his hands up and he puts it, the face drops and then he throws his hands in the air. And it's just a funny moment amongst Arsenal's score, which I quite enjoyed. Should have been in your five things you you may have missed. Clearly, you missed it yourself. I did. Um, But I want to just briefly touch on social media is a a wonderful place. You know, it can do a lot of good for a lot of people. And it also harnesses some, shall we say, interesting conspiracy theories. And Castle United is is not a club that can escape that. Um, Matt Ritchie... Miguel Almiron, Matt Ritchie doesn't want to pass to Miguel Almiron. Everyone's seen it apparently as six, seven um, examples. I mean, come on. I mean, what I saw on Monday was Matt Ritchie constantly telling Almiron to get back into position because Almiron wasn't tracking back. And Matt Ritchie's you know, well entitled to do that. Yeah, it was it was interesting because a few minutes before the end of the game, uh, I had a Mark Douglas message me and he said, have you, have you seen that a lot of fans are talking about this? Is this something you can put in? your five things and I said to him well look it hasn't something I've noticed I'll look overnight and I'll put it I'll potentially put it in the moments you might have missed now speaking to people and having observed the game I certainly saw Matt Ritchie pass it to Almiron at least three times I, I witnessed that don't itself. let facts get in the way Chris but also I, I, I also saw Matt Ritchie screaming at, at Almiron at certain points to get back into position but I think sometimes that uh, Richie has been told to do a specific job by Benitez as well so sometimes I think he's told to feed it down the line more towards Rondon or to play it inside rather than down the wing to Almiron and so look yeah they probably didn't connect up particularly well on Monday night but I don't think there's any sort of that Matt Richie is refusing to pass the ball to Almiron I don't think it's anything quite like that Jealousy it, was a word I saw Jealousy it's, I mean it's an interesting conspiracy theory it's not one which I, I think I would have come up with myself if I hadn't seen other people suggest it but I mean it's something we probably have to see play out in the next few weeks maybe Matt Ritchie will make a point of passing the ball to him a lot more this weekend we'll have to wait and see because I'm not sure on this one it's not something which I personally have seen myself Matt Ritchie doesn't strike me as the kind of person to take note of what social media is uh, is saying at all possibly not but he has corrected a few things he's, he's seen written before in certain points where he doesn't believe that things are being correctly portrayed so he he is very exacting and understandably so. so. Are you now seeing Matt Ritchie passes to M- M- Miguel Mion, gets the assist, runs over, shit overhead, I pass to Miguel? Something like that? Stranger things have happened at St James's Park. On to, on to Saturday, like we say, one more win would probably do it. I think one more um, win. After Cardiff lost last night, one more win, that would be five games left. Newcastle would be, well, this is if... if if Cardiff don't win, Newcastle will be 11 points ahead. That is that is safety for me. And it's time for some stats. I need a little jingle there. Um, Newcastle have lost just one of the last 11 Premier League meetings with Crystal Palace. Won five, drawn five. The last one, incidentally, given his sacking from QPR um, earlier this week, five was one. the 5-1 um, in November 2015. McLaren Pardew. in charge. Pardew in charge of Palace. Um, so, yeah, Crystal Palace have won just one of their seven Premier League away games against Newcastle the last win coming back in March 1998 so 
Where's is that the, the one where Given puts a ball down? No, that was that was Coventry. That was Coventry. Was that Coventry? Was that? Uh, you know, get you know, he's the only man not to know where Dublin. Is, only Irishman not to know where Dublin is. There we go. Um, so while the stats were against Newcastle on on Monday, um, and, and and you know, rang true, the stats are in Newcastle's favour. Yeah, again, same as we said last week, they don't really mean much. It's it's about what happens on the pitch. But you know, Palace of a strange size. Um, they've got some excellent attacking players, and the fact they've got a decent squad, they really shouldn't be down the bottom end of the league, in my opinion. Well, they shouldn't, but it, it's a yearly thing as well. We've said this maybe for three or four years, but they they can't seem to shake it off. They, whatever reason, it doesn't seem to to, to quite work out for them. They're going to be very dangerous on the counter attack. That's why Newcastle. That's why I mean they have to be more precise because if Zahar or Townsend get the ball, they will just run at Newcastle and try and expose uh, the gaps that will be at the back. So. Newcastle have to recycle possession far better than they did on Monday night. In terms of the stats, it was interesting because I asked Benitez about some of these stats last Friday and he was quite dismissive of them. And I think he was quite dismissive of them for the fact that one of them was that he'd never won at Arsenal. And so you say, no, you get different managers, different clubs, different times, different players. Um, I don't think the stats particularly marry up for, for Palace. Yes, Newcastle have done quite well against them, but uh, the, the game where they lost 5-1, they actually took the lead, if I remember correctly. Papis CCA scored... And then Newcastle capitulated. This is a game which I think it, it, it is a coin flip to a certain extent. I think Newcastle's home form just for me makes them shaded. But Palace uh, are dangerous away from home. I think they're better away from home. I just hope that the fact that they played on Wednesday night against Spurs means they're a little bit more fatigued and Newcastle have had that extra 36-48 hours to prepare for this one. Castle winless in the last 10 games. Home and away against London sides is another... Strange stat. Maybe we need Yuri Geller and the, the spoon bending. Um, I'm sure some people will understand that reference. Um, but Palace, I mean, Andres Townsend is a man that Benitez wanted to re-sign. I think if you asked him again, would you re-sign Andres Townsend tomorrow, Benitez would, would snap your hand off. And you can see he's playing regularly. He's just an exciting player who really likes to run defences. And uh, that end product is, is, is now there. He probably should have scored over the weekend. I can't remember who they were playing. Um, but he had, he had a few chances um, before the penalty. Uh, it was against Huddersfield, I think it was, actually. Um, but, I mean, Townsend, you can see why Benitez is such a big fan. And you do worry, I mean, depending on, on where he plays, that if he is up against Yedlin, perhaps, that Yedlin might have a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I still think the best six months of Townsend's career were at Newcastle. I think that the best two or three months were under Benitez. Uh, he was someone Benitez got the most out of. The frustration I always have watching Townsend at Palace is that I think the end product, yes, it is starting to come, but it's not always there. The amount, the, the, the volume of shots he has to goal ratio must be one of the lowest in the Premier League. I don't know the, the stats, but just from observing it, it must be. But he is someone who's very dangerous. He can go on either foot, he can play on either flank. He links up very well with Zahar, and their movement is so difficult to register against. The two of them win a lot of penalties as well because they've got the quick feet with Zahar as well you could argue that he goes off his feet quite easily as well although I'd say the penalty against Huddersfield was absolutely stormwall he completely did the defender and that was definitely a penalty but yeah they're the two danger men in Newcastle need to watch out for I don't know if they'll play one of them as almost a false nine or whether they'll play Benteke or someone because they've been struggling for a focal point of striker but I would be I would think they'll probably play those two as sort of just tell them whenever you can, just counter-attack at Newcastle at pace and they're going to have to watch out for that Newcastle and the wing-backs are going to have to cover back a lot more than I think they have done in recent games at home. 
so is it Cher comes in for Lascelles and you, you play Cher, Lejeune, um, and name me the other one because Thomas, you know, Paul, don't that's the one. Um, are they the three, the three centre backs? Well, Cher definitely comes back into the side, in my opinion, as long as he's passed all the protocols, which the suggestion was on Friday he was all right anyway, and he's had further tests this week. And as far as I'm aware, nothing has, has shown up to say that he has got any signs uh, that the concussion is still affecting him. Lejeune also plays for me for the fact that you have those two defend. Then it's a big call because Lascelles has been the one who's been performing well in the middle at home. He was poor on Monday night, but he is the captain. It would be harsh on Dummett to a degree to take him out, but who would you shift into the middle? If I think he probably goes back to the three who have been playing so well together, and I think Lascelles stays in the team. Because it would be a big call to drop your captain on such a pivotal day. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that... I think that he will remain in the team. Benitez defended him with what he said on Monday night. I think that he'll give him another opportunity. And I think that it'll be those three. Because those three have performed well. And I think Lascelles benefits so much from having those two either side of him. I think they benefit from having him there because he is quite willing to to let them play with it. I think that they have greater freedom to attack as well. So I, I think the three complement each other well. Do you think that um, what Benitez is saying out in the, in, in the open about it not being Lascelles' fault is... Is what he's saying behind the scenes, or do you think he would have taken Lascelles aside and said, "Look, you did this wrong. You've got to improve on on, on this." Well, what Benitez will do to Lascelles is he have taken him to the training ground this week and he'd have showed him the clips and he'd have said he'd have, he he won't have even said anything. He'd have, he'd have just said to to Lascelles, "What is it that you need to to improve here? Do you think that you could defend that as well as you could?" He, he likes to to have this style where he teaches the players and they understand so that he's not just telling them. And I th- Lascelles will know that he that, that those uh, goals weren't defended particularly well, and that he was complicit in both. So um, I don't I don't see it being the case that he's received a rollicking or anything from Benitez, but there will certainly have been video sessions where they've looked through that. Well, certainly. Just before we get into the other big selection dilemma, just a quick note to say that we're taking uh, Gibbo's corner. That's a popular podcast with John Gibson. We're taking it on the road on May the second at the Ware Rooms. Uh, £5 a ticket, that includes a, a pint for yourself on arrival or a soft drink. Um, and ticket proceeds go to the food bank. Gibb will be talking about his wonderful uh, and weird and wacky tales of covering Newcastle for more than 50 years. You know, made some brilliant friendships with some of the legends of the North East. And he'll be telling all them live. Um, and it'll be a great night. So if you can come along, that'll be fantastic. You can head on our website um, or over on Eventbrite and type in everything is black and white to get the tickets. Chris, the other big selection dilemma is John Joe Shelby. Again, another week uh, A week doesn't seem to go by without fans questioning why Benitez is leaving them out. Yeah, Monday was, was curious, the fact they didn't get on the pitch at all. I've heard a lot of people say that was the sort of game that was crying out for John Joe Shelby. The fact that Newcastle's passing was so poor, the fact that they hadn't really offered anything to the attack. And I, I do see the logic in that argument, but I think at the same time, the one of the criticisms you could level at Shelby is that he's not always the most accurate with passing. Yes, he will be ambitious with his passing, but Newcastle needed someone who was going to keep the ball, and that should have been key in theory, although I didn't think he played very well when he came on. I thought he struggled. And so we'll have to wait and see how Hayden is. I spoke to Hayden after the game on Monday night, and he was saying about how his hip was causing him problems and that Benitez made the call to bring him off. He couldn't sprint properly it would seem a quick turnaround for him to be ready for Saturday. So I think he's going to be a fitness doubt. I would I would expect Diarmé to continue playing. If he does, he's moving closer to his new contract as well. I think he'd only be one game away if he is. 
Um, and then it's who partners them. Do you go for Key, who's sort of, in theory, the more reliable on the ball in terms of recycles possession, doesn't necessarily always look to go forward with it, but quick, uh, passes it from side to side, brings players into play? Or do you go for Shelby, who is more uh, ambitious on the ball, drives forward, is always looking ahead whenever he gets the ball and passes? Um if Hayden's fit, I would go with Hayden alongside Diarma, but if Hayden isn't fit, I think I would just opt for Shelby ahead of Keane. It's a, it, it would be a huge opportunity for Shelby because he really needs to prove uh, his worth really to Benitez. It's interesting you mentioned the whole recycling possession and, and going for the long balls. Every time I suggest that about Shelby, about his accuracy, it's, people come back and say, well, it only needs one pass. It only needs one pass. And I think that's that's an interesting point about how people view Shelby. It's if one of these seven or eight passes comes off, everyone forgets. However, if you're playing Crystal Palace with the speed of Sahar and Townsend and one of Shelby's passes goes skew with, they hit you on the counter, you're in trouble. It's all right doing it against Huddersfield or what have you, no disrespect. But you've got two of the fastest players in the Premier League bearing down on you on a counter. You know, that's a quick switch around. And in my opinion, it would be a slight risk to, to, to play Shelby just on that basis because I think if Palace gets we on the counter then then Newcastle are going to struggle yeah I, I could totally see where you come from there it is it is a risk if he gives the ball away in a dangerous position then Palace are one of the quickest team in transition so they will counter attack at pace the thing with Shelby that the, the question I've always had with him is, is about game management I haven't got a problem with him trying some of these passes I just think it's at some point there, there is there are an occasion for them there's an occasion not to play that pass and sometimes I, th- I think that even he really if he asked him to stop the situation and think should you have played that pass he, he would know he shouldn't have played it so it's about that game management and we haven't seen that enough from him he doesn't dominate games as much as he probably should but he's desperate for an opportunity he really needs it because if you look at Newcastle squad and if there is going to be a potential squad overhaul this summer as we hear in whispers there could be one of the few really saleable assets Newcastle have is John Joe Shelby. I can't see many other players you get a significant value for that Benitez, if he stays, would want to to cash in on. So Shelby needs to show that it isn't worth Newcastle thinking about getting 15 to 20 million from him. He should be the player they're going to build the team around going forward. And he's only got half a dozen games to do that. Well, certainly. And um, well, I'll ask you for your, your score prediction. I'm going for Newcastle 2 1. I think it's going to be a tight. I think it's not edgy because I think it'll be a good game I think the Palace will come and have a bit of a go in terms of on the counter attack Newcastle will have to be patient at points they're going to have to be far better in possessions I've said I do see goals and I see both teams scoring but I, th- I hope Newcastle's home form and the fact that Palace have played midweek just gives Newcastle the edge and they get the win which in my opinion will secure survival well there you have it if you head over to Chronicle Live you keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news including Rafa Benitez's press conference tomorrow from about quarter to one and then all the match day live action on Saturday the blog will be up and running from bright and early with kickoff at 3pm please remember to follow us on Twitter at EIBW and over on YouTube as well and uh, thank you very much for joining us Thanks.